This is Grounded, a podcast from Michigan Sugar Company. Grounded is intended to explore our history, the tradition that's made us great, and the ideas to drive us into the future. Grounded is hosted by Jim Ruhlman, Michigan Sugar Company Executive Vice President. And now, here's Jim Ruhlman. Welcome to Grounded. Part of the inspiration for developing the Grounded podcast was to look at foundational platforms that allow for growth and opportunity. Sometimes that foundation comes in the form of an upbringing or a mentor when you were young. Sometimes that foundation forms from a farm that may have been handed down from generation to generation where assets are secure and the infrastructure is there. But there's always different ways to have that foundation and have that level of certainty. And this morning we have with us Clint Hagen from Atwater Farms. And we're going to kind of take a walk through Clint's journey from maybe a, a youth through his success today as a farmer and a business owner of Atwater Farms. So Clint, thank you for joining us. We are in the beautiful country out here by Clint's farm. And we're going to have a little talk with Clint today and learn a little bit, share a little bit, and hopefully our viewers will find it interesting. So thanks for being here. Oh, welcome, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Clint, sometimes studies show that we're shaped or some of our most impactful lessons come when we're at a younger age. And so I'm wondering if we could maybe take your life back to around maybe age 14, where you could share with us, you know, some of your upbringing, tell us a little bit about your family, your brothers and sisters, your mom and dad. What was your life like as a young teenager? In that time of my life at 14, we were, it was all about the farm at that time. I mean, really for me, I got two brothers. Keith is older than I am. Brad is younger. Brad is partner of mine in, in Atwater Farms. And, you know, right from a young age, at least for me, I knew I was coming back to the farm every day after school. We grew up just down the road from the farm. We had a lot of beef cattle at the time. It was a big opportunity for youth to be able to go and participate on the farm. You know, that's one of the things we really struggle with, or I struggle with today, is how to bring the youth into a a bigger farm when you're cash cropping. So I look at the opportunities that, that we had when we were younger. You know, we could go down there and chase the cattle out of the pen, clean the barns, take the spreader out back, spread it on the field. It was just all very, very simple, contained, no liability, that type of thing. It, it was a different time. So it was to be able to be hands-on and really get all of those experiences at that time really, really helped bring me along, I feel personally, that it really helped me, I guess, gain knowledge into the farm. And, you know, my dad was a real, real big part of that. He he promoted that. He Maybe there was even something I wasn't even confident enough in doing, whether it be driving some type of a tractor or whatever it might be, but he, he'd think nothing of throwing you in there and sending you on your way. Mm-hmm. And just seems like it always worked out, I guess. So I'm still mm-hmm. here. Yeah, yeah. It's when you're growing up on a farm, even whether it's a smaller farm or a big farm, there's always that. It just seems like your parents have the confidence that you can do a lot of things that a lot of other kids aren't afforded the opportunity to do, whether it's to drive a tractor in a field or, I mean, to me, when I look back at some of my childhood, it's, you know, to be able to hop on a tractor and drive it at, you know, at age 12 or 14, 
was not even not even a thought everybody was doing it. everybody was doing it well and and that was another part of at least in my experience as a kid or that age anyway being in school I had a lot of friends that were farm kids you know just growing up in ugly here smaller school just about everybody in the school was some part of a farm it seemed like so having those relationships with those guys you were you go to school and you talk about farming you go home you talk about farming if your buddies came over they were helping you farm you know yeah. it was just that's what you did it was that comfort of everyone was was kind of the same yeah and learn things from that too you got to go to your friend's place and just pay attention a little bit well yeah that, that's how they're planting their corn or you know just whatever I guess that's how I acted anyway maybe some kids didn't but I was yeah. always looking for kind of the new thing what are people doing what's working yeah. So it sounds like when you were growing up and you were a, a young teenager, it, it sounded like it sounds like you wanted to stay on the farm. Was there ever a point during your high school career where you thought I might want to do something different? I might want to go into another field or were you pretty much set on staying on the farm? Yeah, it was probably 95% staying on the farm. There was one point where I considered possibly going and doing a crop and soil science, something like that, just for a year or two, trying to gain a little bit of knowledge on that end of it. But that came and went pretty fast. I I didn't consider it for very long. Okay. Can you maybe paint a picture of what your farm looked like when you were maybe in your high school years? Maybe size-wise, did you have livestock? What kind of crops you grew? Yeah, it uh, it, it definitely looked a lot different at that time. Like I said, we had cattle my grandpa's place my dad and his brother were were partners on the farm and they had cattle they had fairly new to sugar beets we started in 86 was our first beet crop so we had that going on and so at I believe it was 1993 I graduated high school in 94 so in 93 my dad and his brother decided they were going to split and go their separate ways and my uncle stayed with the cattle and we kind of went the sugar beet side of things. He didn't continue in the beets. So that was the biggest change right then. I think we were in the, if I remember right, when Dad split, he had rented another farm, which put us up to twelve or 1,300 acres total, okay. something like that, that same year. That was my actually my first beet contract year. I got a 10-acre beet contract, so I, I was growing 10 acres of beets okay. that year when I was in high school. Right. So that uh, And actually, that was our first 20-ton beet field that we ever had. Was that was, was your that, field? Was that field that oh, ten nice. acre field? So yeah, it was pretty easy to do on the ten acres. But it was uh, destiny then, huh? Yeah, yeah, meant to be, I guess. But yeah. and and you know, I looking back, I'm not even sure. I think we were probably in the two hundred acres of beets, something like that, in that range at that time. Okay. So let's maybe take your life and come out of high school and look at your early twenties and maybe through age thirty. What kind of transformation, what kind of evolved in, in your life in terms of starting a family, being becoming more active in the farm? What were your parents kind of teaching you and, and, and molding you to be during that time frame? Yeah, uh, well, I graduated high school in 1994. I was 17 at the time. My brother Brad graduated in 98. So, you know, within a few years there, he came right in and joined the farm then too. In that time, 1996, in between there is when I bought my first farm, where my house is and where we are right now. So that was all taking place just a few years after I bought this place. Married my wife in 1999 in January. So that all started progressing. Had our first child in 2000. He was born in December. 
there was just a lot of stuff happening right then. My brother Brad bought his first farm right about the same time. Other than that, sugar beet wise, we were kind of staying the same. We maybe expanded a little bit in that timeline. Not very good years right in through there. A little bit on the tougher side, the early 2000 range, late 90s, yields were not good. We were starting to see our first signs of Sarcospora really being prevalent and nobody really knew what to do with it. Yeah. I can remember a few fields that were black and what's going on. Didn't even really know what was going on at the time. And I was quite young, so I wasn't really, at that time, it was just about getting the field work, get the stuff planted, get it harvested, not really diving into the the agronomics of the crop itself at that time. So that's, I guess, kind of when I started taking a little more interest in the sugar beets themselves. I wasn't really focused on them. We were doing a lot of different things at the time, wheat and corn and just lots of other crops. But beets at the time just never seemed to be the focus crop. Okay. Our, our dry beans, we were always very big into the dry beans. We always, even my grandpa loved growing dry beans, and that was my dad's favorite crop. And we always had a lot of focus on our navy beans. So that seems like that's what took the time. I mean, I put a lot of time into the beets, but I didn't really care for them that much, I guess, if that makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. No, it does. Right right from a kid, even going back to 12, 13, 14, that's what I was doing. I was sitting in the tractor, calivating beets all summer, you know, turn around, go right back through them again. And okay. About that time, that's when Hinnikers got really big when I was kind of coming out of high school. So then you're knifing in hydrus with the Hinnaker and you're calivating at the same time and you got saddle tanks on and you're spraying the beets <laughs> at the same time. And it was just a, <laughs> I, I can't believe it. Nobody got hurt or killed out of that deal because that whole system that looking back at doing that right now, man, was that ever a, that was just such a different time Time. sitting in that tractor and as a kid, not really knowing much and all at once uh, an hydrous hose blows and the wind's out of the wrong direction and it's blowing on your tractor cab. (laughs) It just, it wasn't, uh, and yeah, it just wasn't fun, but those were my summers, you know, going back to when I was younger, but getting back to the more current going up through my 20s there wasn't a lot of opportunity to buy land at that time things were kind of stagnant we did pick up a few more farms rent wise we were starting to expand our acres a little bit that's about the same time that was right when michigan sugar got purchased by the farmers that's you know co-op started so those were tough times Mm -hmm. Um, we went through the alfalfa co-op you know bought into that and went backwards on it and and uh, went into the topc co-op here in ubley at the time and didn't have a good outing there. So we were yeah. we were making investments that weren't returning anything. And so when Sugar Beets came along, that was the last one. That was tough to jump on that bandwagon. Sure, sure. And, com- uh, and, and coming, out of, coming out of like 11, 12, 13 ton yields too. Sure. I mean, it, yeah. Was, yeah. it just wasn't, they weren't painting a rosy picture. Talk to me about your interaction with your father and your mother during that time frame. Were they pulling you into, you know, the family farm? Was there talk about, expansion were you dreaming big at that time or were you in a point where you know the economics of farming weren't awfully great and you were more in a I won't call it a survival mode but just maintaining your farm at that point and looking for better days ahead well for me just getting started being young I I was kind of in survival mode right from the get-go and anybody that's gone through that kind of knows what I mean interest rates were high when I bought the farm 10% 10% interest on the note, you know, it was yeah. just to make those paint. I mean, obviously land prices were a lot cheaper, but so were commodity prices. So, and yields were, were poor. So, you know, coming through that time, I mean, you know, you talk about mom and dad. No, I don't, they weren't really pulling me into ag. I think it was already understood. They knew a long time ago that I was coming into ag. That was okay. never a question. 
you know, as far as expansion goes, that's what was odd. You know, you go through years where prices are bad, yields are bad, but you were just always thinking about expansion, mm-hmm. no matter what was going on. So it was always on our radar all the time. Always look for those opportunities. And I guess that's one thing that looking back and just going through this conversation, the opportunities, that's just been a big part of our operation forever. We've always just been looking for those opportunities that maybe others don't look for, I guess, mm-hmm. or you know, take a chance on. So that was happening then. It wasn't happening on quite as big a scale. But, uh, you know, my brother at the time, he just coming out of high school too, uh, he wanted to kind of change our trucking part of our operation a little bit and build our fleet up to a little bit better standards, I guess, maybe a little newer type of thing, and then kind of got a knack for it and started selling a few, maybe have that truck for a year and sell it right away and or trailers, whatever it might be. And that, that was kind of a nice little niche. It brought a little bit of revenue back into the farm okay. and, and it made our delivery a little bit better, a little bit more efficient, a little safer all mm-hmm. at the same time. So that yeah. that was one of those opportunities that came <clears throat> about that's really still going and it's it's served us well over the years. So let's maybe transition from your 20 to 30 time frame of your life and go from 30 years old and beyond. An awful lot of things have transpired with Atwater Farms in that, what, 16 years or so? Yeah. And maybe let's start with, let, let's start talking about your father a little bit and then maybe transition into how Brad and yourself kind of took the farm from there. In <clears throat> 19, or I'm sorry, in 2006, dad passed away. I just turned 30 two days prior to that. So I'm, I know there's there was a lot of questions in the neighborhood, what was going to happen. And, you know, dad, like I said before, even when I was younger, he did a really good job at just throwing you into something and, and trusting you're going to get it done. And mm-hmm. so even not a lot of people probably knew it at the time, but prior to dad passing away, I mean, in years before that, planning the rotations for the crops that I did that basically since I was 20, 21, I did all the land rotations, set the schedule, that type of thing, started doing the the FSA work, getting a little bit more involved in in certifying crops and that type of thing. So that it wasn't as big a transition in that regard after he passed away. But uh, I mean, obviously it was a huge deal in our lives and Mm -hmm. it, it changed everybody dramatically, but that was one thing he definitely did. He got us prepared and, yeah. and I think it was, you know, you got all kinds of time to reflect now, basically 14 years later, you think about that stuff all the time. And dad dealt with that since he was 17. That's when he first had his first diagnosis. And, you know, so I'm sure all those years he was probably in the back of your mind, you couldn't help but think about that kind sure. of stuff. So I'm sure that was probably something that helped push him along mm-hmm. to push us along. Mm-hmm. So did you think about it when you were in, in your twenties? Did you? No, 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 okay. no. Not at all. Yeah. No. And, but I always, I always felt as though he was letting me do those types of things. I always yeah. thought that that should have been his job. Yeah. Because now I, that's my stuff, you know, yeah. and I don't want to give it up, uh-huh. you know, so I can look back and see that probably was pretty tough mm-hmm. for him to give up those roles. You know, right. that, I think I was, I was, I was 16 when I took over planting. I started doing all the planting and in, in high school, that was pretty tough. Was just take sure. days off of school and yeah. stay home and plant, you know, so. Yeah. And I believe it was my junior year of high school. That's when I took over digging beets. I dug all the beets then that year and, and really did that up until just a couple of years ago. Once things got big enough, we went to multiple harvesters. And then uh, a few years back, I decided I'd go start running the mouse and let the other guys dig the beets. So that was, yeah. a, I probably only 
dug 40 acres of the 5,000 we dug that year. You know, it was really, really different for me. But looking back at that, giving that up was actually, you know, it was a little harder at the time, but now that's fine. These these other guys need to learn how to do that kind of stuff. And so I guess take that another notch forward to do that with your own kids now. It's tough. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do. And it kind of comes from a liability standpoint, too. There's, sure. Uh, yeah, you know, I get it. You're not in these fields for very long, and you're moving to the next one, and this equipment's so big, and people don't give you the respect they used to on the roads. So it's yeah. uh, there's just a lot of factors out there. And let's be honest, when something breaks at tens of thousands of dollars now, you can't put it in the shop and fix it yourself <laughs> in a couple hours for 500 bucks. Sure. It's, it's different. Yeah, it so is different. That was a big year for us, 2006, uh, right after the beet harvest dad passed away. Then seemed like the next year that's when you know we'd rented a lot of land at the time and boy it just seemed like every landlord we had was knocking on the door wanting to sell the farm yeah i can't say what the reasoning for that was but you know i could kind of suspect maybe they were nervous because mm-hmm. we rented the farm for a while ah, i gotcha these two young guys coming along here and what are they going to do now and it was hard at the time because it was a lot of acres and how many acres were you farming at that point do you remember oh i remember the sugar beets that year specifically because it was it was the best crop we ever had it was the year dad passed away so it meant a little something we had 850 acres that year okay Um, so we were you know we were expanding pretty good at that time we jumped it up from the time the co-op was purchased i think the first year when we bought in we were in the four or five six hundred acre range i I can't remember for sure but expanded a little bit more and Still trying to do it all with one harvester. That was definitely different. I was just trying to get a feel for, yeah. you know, the size of your operation yeah, okay. when, you're, yeah. when your dad passed. And then yep. I guess what was the mindset of Brad and yourself at that point in time? Were you scared? Were you, obviously you were, you were sad, but what was the mindset at that point going forward? I think for Brad and I both, it was, uh, you were definitely upset. It was a, it was a mm-hmm. tough trying time, but you know, at the same time, it's small town. So you hear all kinds of things and you kind of know what the buzz is going around. And I, that's why I say, I think a bunch of that land come up for sale. So it was almost maybe a little motivation at that point that we had something to prove. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I think if anything, that's probably when we got a little more aggressive, Honestly, Dad was always pretty good at, I guess I call it pretty good. He kind of kept the reins on us a little bit a lot of times. Maybe he would have saw a lot of things in his career that it's not always just the best idea just to keep going, taking all these chances all the time and getting burned. But uh, it was something that Brad and I are both pretty aggressive when it comes to that type of stuff. So, you know, our relationship has been really good because I think Mm -hmm. we both probably have kind of the same goal, same focus. We both wanted to expand, both kind of into the sugar beet side of things. And it's been a good partnership. And, you know, coming up through that, because mom was always a very big part of the farm as well. Growing up as kids, she was always out in the fields with dad doing whatever needed to be done, driving truck, driving tractor, whatever it might be. So she kind of turned into a more of a bookkeeping role even before dad passed away. Things were getting big enough and we had employees and we just didn't need her to be as big a part hands-on on the farm is what okay. she was uh, still topping beets every season and that type of thing which was a huge help but then when dad passed away it, things needed to kind of change a little bit as far as what do you do with financials and that type of thing because I know mom wasn't as comfortable taking the chances just like dad didn't want to at the time sure. either you know yeah. and, and yeah. Brad and I are gung-ho let's go so you know what what do we do now so that's when Brad and I took over and became 50-50 partners and okay. and mom was still helping us out with the books and all that kind of thing that went on for quite some time just up until last year so 
that was a huge help transitioning through all that. You know, for me, I took on a lot of the more of the manager type of a role with the rotations and Mm -hmm. certifying that type of stuff, crop insurance, and to take the books on beyond that, that would have been tough. I I wanted to be in the field too. So Mm -hmm. for her to be able to do that allowed me to basically stay in the field and and do the stuff that I wanted to do. I see. The part that, I don't know, it's, I kind of compare it to uh, playing a sport. You practice, 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 practice. You want to go to the game. Yeah. So for me, (laughs) the practice is all the other stuff. The game is being in the field. Field. So that's how I've always looked at it. I gotcha. As you and Brad were looking at growth opportunities and taking the farm to the next level, what kind of opportunities presented themselves and, I guess maybe secondly, what were some of the tough decisions you made that helped propel you to that next level? Well, I talked before about opportunities. I think that has been one of our strong suits. So, you know, I mentioned the, you know, my brother with the trucks and trailers and things like that to generate a little more revenue on the side, doing different things, diversifying. I can't remember specifically. I think it was 05, 06 right in there is when we took on the sugar beet transfer we were awarded the contract for the first time with michigan sugar and prior to that we'd been hired on by michigan sugar with trucks to help with the transfer gaining that contract was definitely different there was a lot of things that allowed us to do on as a farm mostly i look at it as labor a lot of the maybe better just full-time employees that we were gaining it allowed us to keep them on year-round keep them employed which was huge that's been one thing we've been very fortunate with is every time we find a good person we find a job for them even if we don't have if we're not in need of somebody if that good person's there and seeking us out we're going to hire him we're going to find something for him to do so this thing's turned so much now and it's been a lot with the trucks we do a lot of trucking on the side we build roads in the summertime for the road commission we got a contract to do that with our trucks So, you know, there's four or five more people all summer long when things are, quite honestly, a little bit slower. I mean, yeah, you're spraying beets all summer long, but Mm -hmm. for us, we've got two sprayers and two guys, so you got four people doing that. Well, I think we've got 18 on the books right now employed, plus my brother and myself. So you got to have things for these guys to do because come fall, we need all these people, Mm -hmm. and we need need them full time. So that beet contract was a big one that kind of paved the way, I guess, in that regard that almost gave us the idea and now we can keep these people. We mm-hmm. can afford to keep them on. We got a job for them to do. Sure. So that changed things a lot. That was probably one of the bigger ventures at the time that we took on. Okay. And, you know, looking back, there's been so many swings and misses, too, that, mm-hmm. that you've tried. It doesn't always work out. Sure. But you learn a lot from the mistakes, too. So I think, believe it was about 2010 when Brad and I really wanted to grow the beets. We were starting to take a lot more focus on the beats, putting a lot more time into the beats. Kind of right when Dad passed away about that time, we were getting a lot more aggressive. So I got to know a fellow farmer, a buddy of mine now, John Merchant, over here by Cass City, and just presented the idea to him. He's a no-till farmer and asked him if he was interested in putting some sugar beets on his land. I could come in and put beets on for a year and leave, and next year we'll just do some different fields. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was a little apprehensive at first, but, you know, we talked a lot and I, there was no pressure or anything like that. And he finally took me up on it. And I think the first year we actually put 400 acres over there. I think at the time 
he was comfortable with the number. I don't know if I was comfortable with that many acres, but I sure wanted to take him up on it while he was thinking that he was sure. that he was interested. Yeah, uh, because it was no till, and he wanted to try and stay no till on it, and we'd never mm-hmm. done anything like that before. So you know that was one of those opportunities, one of those ventures that paid off in a big way, and we're sure. still doing that today. We had the luxury of being able to do that when prices were high. Hit that right when the beet prices were doing really well, and we're able to capitalize that. So then that kind of pushed us into the self-propelled because that we went through 10 and 11 doing that. In 2012, mm-hmm. we bought the first self-propelled. And once we saw what that could do, that really changed our outlook on how we were going to grow the sugar beet side of things. Okay. And then right in all that same timeline, actually going back to when Dad passed away, we were putting feed up for a local dairy. We had alfalfa. We had corn silage at the time. And with Dad gone, we just knew we didn't want that hanging over us too we wanted to put our focus into other things so Mm -hmm. we broke ties on that and really haven't grown corn since haven't grown alfalfa since it's just been a sugar beet dry bean and white wheat rotation i guess that was another venture that did serve us well for a few years working with the dairy it allowed us to diversify a little bit you just talked before with your question about going different ways and Mm -hmm. and and different ventures as I'm sitting here talking, it just kind of brings back some of this stuff. That yeah. you, you just completely forget about it. Yeah, You know, you put five, six, seven years of the farm into stuff like that. You almost forget that you did it with everything that's going on today. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's so hectic. Yeah. yeah. Can you just give a feel for what kind of growth has taken place at, on Atwater Farms since, or in the last 14 years, call it? I mean, I, have you doubled in size, tripled in size? Well, in terms you, of employees acres farmed and so forth yeah specifically i i know in 2006 we had 850 acres this year we planted 4250 so beets of beets yeah yeah uh, that's definitely been our biggest growth i mean our other okay. crops have grown in size too but you tell people your crop rotation you're on a three-year crop rotation sure. and i got 4200 acres of beets they think you're farming 12,000 acres well there's just so many of those acres that have come from this one-year deal that that we did just like with john okay that opportunity has just grown and grown and grown people have liked it it's worked well for us we Mm -hmm. can come in and just be part of somebody's rotation and it's worked very well so that helped a lot that's been the growth since 2006 okay and it was fairly i believe in when i started that first time when we had that deal with john i believe there was like i said 400 acres i think that put us up to 11 1200 at that time of total beets and like I said we were still with the pull types and went to a second pull type harvester at the time and I think people probably remember seeing the great big beet carts that we built we built three really big beet carts that came at the same time part of a deal with Michigan Sugar on cleaning some beets we've done some talks about that and that's I guess a design that we come up with that we thought would fit well in the field and in the piling mm-hmm. ground. So that's how those came to be in two pull type harvesters and you know and we were getting we knew we could do more if we wanted to acre wise but it was i think we maybe expanded to 14 15 1600 with the pole types and we knew that this just wasn't gonna Mm -hmm. we didn't want to keep going on acres if we were gonna stay with that route so when we just finally decided to pull the trigger because we were skeptical on the self-propelled stuff you know the price tag would scare anybody Mm -hmm. away until you put it in the field and see what it can do and and watch all the help kind of disappear out of the field and all at once you're just out there by yourself getting the same amount of stuff done (laughs) it's hard to realize pretty exciting huh it's hard to realize it yeah yeah Yeah. so that was a huge point like i said that was 2012 when we first did that and realized we could grow the acres more and Mm -hmm. started getting a little more aggressive at that actually pursuing acres and buying shares and doing that 
type of stuff. So eventually turned into three harvesters and two mice. And I guess that all works well because we work with our neighbors on it. We've got a harvest group that we started basically right as soon as we had the, even back when we were doing pole type harvesters, there's a local farm here, Dipsinski's, that we dug beets with for quite some time and had a really good relationship back and forth. And we worked well together and that eventually grew into a couple of different neighbors once we got the self-propelled equipment. So now we're able to utilize their trucks as part of the fleet. They haul our beets and we dig their beets. So it, at the end of the year, it's amazing how it all just about yeah. washes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, very Hardly ever have to write a check back and forth to one another. I see. It's been a really good relationship nice for everybody. Nice. Yeah. It's nice. a good system. Good, good. So as you're going through this growth and making decisions for the future, were there any sleepless nights or, or are there any sleepless nights today? Are there things that, that you worry about or are there things when, when you put your head on the pillow at night you're uncomfortable with as a business owner, as a farmer, as a father, uh, as a husband? Are there things that just eat at you? Are you well, pretty much at peace with the if, way things are? If you threw all that stuff together and really start <laughs> worrying about it, you just, you'd yeah. never sleep. You really yeah. wouldn't. You know, obviously, yeah, the last two weeks, you stay up every night looking what the low temperature is going to be. Yeah. But, you know, maybe just in the last couple of years, it almost seems like it's maybe getting a little bit, it eats at you a little bit more, but it's been tougher years too. I yeah. mean, we've had quite a few beet crops that have been a struggle. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be yield or content, everybody knows the story. So sure. we don't need to live any of that we just keep looking at the next year is going to be the better year so yeah. you know we wouldn't be expanding so i guess that's a little bit of a story 218 2018 we had 3850 acres of beets of our own 19 we backed actually down to 3500 and now this year we're back up to 4250 so you know pretty massive swings yeah when you look at it but i try and look at the landscape looking ahead i mean all this opportunity with the price of sugar going forward and i guess the more involved you get whether it be on a cooperative board or with the PAC committee that I'm on or ASGA, ASGA that I'm serving on, mm-hmm. you get a little bit more insight into all this stuff. And I try and pass as much information along as I can to the neighbors and maybe they don't buy into it quite as much as I do. But again, when there's opportunity, I want to take advantage. So we definitely pushed our acres harder this year because of that. But, you know, go back to the sleepless nights. I don't try and let too much of that bother me. I probably okay. I probably worry more about the family, <clears throat> wife and kids and stuff like that than I do about the farm. I mean the okay. the farm will the farm will be what it is. You worry about the kids, you worry about where they're going, yeah. especially as they're getting older here now. So that's probably where more of my worry goes. Okay. Talk to me a little more about your board involvement and the ASGA. I it, it sounds like you've kind of found a little bit of a love for for that part of the sugar business. Can you talk just a little more about that? Yeah, for sure. It was something that, you know, I I knew I wanted to at least try out for the district board and see what Mm -hmm. that was all about. And uh, about the same time, I actually became part of the school board. So I think that was the same year. Okay. So I kind of dove into it head first, really. Yeah. But, you know, getting to be around those guys on the district board, I learned a lot. Several guys I really never even knew before. So that was nice to make those connections, meet some new people. And then... uh, my first year, they put me on the PAC committee. Um, that was the committee that I served on. Okay. And, you know, talk about having a mentor and Ray Van yeah. Trish when he yeah. was there. You know, I can just remember sitting in the first meeting, wondering what in the world I was doing there. Because all those years of growing beets, I really didn't even know what that PAC deal was. You know, we're, we're yeah. giving a check to PAC. What is that? Okay, everybody does it. All right, I'll just, okay. yeah, I'm just going to do that. I didn't understand that. I never took an interest in it. Didn't Never looked into it. Yeah. So, you know, started going to meetings and listening to Ray talk and I 
it was either the first or second meeting that we had, he talked about going to the hill and doing these office visits and how they didn't have enough people to go. And he looked at me and would you ever be interested in doing something like that? I kind of shrugged my shoulders and said, I guess I could give it a shot. You know, I've never been to DC. That, that sounded kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should go to DC and check that out. So, and we did. And boy, did I ever have a good time with that. That was eye opening to say the least. You know, I've told my story enough to people at meetings and stuff like that. They've all heard about it enough, but to this day, I can't believe what I saw there, really. And the more I dig into it, the more I learn about it. I've told people that, man, if I wasn't a farmer, I almost think I, I might have gone into politics. <laughs> I don't know. It's it, it, it's really yeah. been fun. And, yeah. and uh, now, just this last year, the co-op board uh, appointed me onto the AS, to represent us on the ASGA. Oh, nice. And that's been even more eye-opening yet, mm-hmm. just to see what that group actually does on our behalf it's just incredible it is incredible it it really is and anybody that doesn't know that much about that i'd really encourage them to learn just a little Mm -hmm. bit whether it be listening to somebody that went or just research it on your own yeah i mean it's if you don't trust the others that are telling you do your own research because it's it is very Mm eye-opening and it really 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 pays off yeah it does yeah so that whole portion of being a part of that over the years now is uh i look back at that as that's been very enjoyable. I've really enjoyed doing that. Okay. Let's maybe switch gears a little bit from business and farm to family. Talk to me about your family, maybe your wife and your kids and, and your involvement there and how you separate the farm and the business from family. And it's probably all intertwined, but how do you manage such a big business and a big farm and still make time for family? That's definitely hard to do. You have to make it a focus to be able to pull that off. And yeah, there's no way in the world I could ever make that happen without my wife at home. I mean, that's with, with five kids. Sure. It's, uh, yeah. And they're all involved in something or three or four of something. Mm-hmm. You're always running in a lot of different directions. So, you know, and we both volunteer for different things too. We were both part of the fair in a big way up here in Huron County. She helps run the sale and do that type of stuff up there. I'm a superintendent for the beef kids. So we try and do those extra things too. Uh, obviously the kids are involved in it as well so it helps us we're there anyway so it helps us be around them and help them with their projects but uh yeah it it's a juggling act for sure and you know you don't want to miss anything Mm -hmm. so you know there's times you know the kids are doing something and you just don't they might be in elementary school or junior high yet where if it's a sport it really doesn't mean anything yet at that point but you sure don't want to miss it either so you know it's hard to do but like i said i give a lot of credit to my wife for helping balance all that out and then our employees, I just got to give them so much credit because uh, I tell them they're all young guys when we hired them. <laughs> they're, you know, they're all, all in their 20s. And yeah. it's just been, you look at that now and a lot of these key guys that have been with us for a long time, they're all married now. They've all had several kids of their own. So they're wanting to leave early now too and go home. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, when I needed to do that, you know, they were kind of there to back me up and help do whatever I was doing, cover my spot type of thing. So it just seems like everybody kind of realizes they need to back each other up. And our employees help us out a lot with that. That part's been really actually kind of a breath of fresh air to see. You know, it's, uh, I don't know, I like to think it's more of a family atmosphere with all the guys at the Mm -hmm. shop. They Everybody kind of knows their role. They all do their job, but they'll sure jump in to help you out when it's, when you need to get going really. Yeah. I, I can see you building that culture here. I mean, as you describe it, I can, I can visualize it. So that's really, really cool. 
Well, yeah. you know, just to take off this morning to come and do something like this, you know, you don't even think about what's happening at the shop because you just know what's getting done. Brad was gone yesterday. You can just up and go do that. Just let the guys, hey, I'm going to be gone from here to here. They almost shrug their shoulders like, who cares? I'm, get yeah. out of here. We don't want you here anyway yeah. type of thing. Yeah. So yeah. we've got a great group of employees. I can't say okay. that enough. And uh, that's really, really made this whole thing work as well as it's worked. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, what's a fulfilling day for Clint Hagen? If you could wake up in the morning and go through your day and it'd be 10 o'clock at night and you're ready to go to bed, what's fulfilling? What makes it fulfilling? Well, on the farm end of things, I guess, there's probably two different fulfillings. You know, The farm, at the end of the day, is it better off than what you started with? It's probably the biggest way I look at it. Yeah. What did you get done that day? Did you, you know, it, it could be the simple stuff, just fixing a few things in the shop that were broke that need to be done or, mm-hmm. you know, clearing a fence line out that's been needing to be done. And, you know, springs like this that, uh, you know, it's dry outside, but it's cold. There's so many things we can be out there doing and, and yeah. we've been out there doing them. So, you know, you just kind of plot your day and did you get everything done that you wanted to get done? And is it better than you started with? Yeah. So, and then with the kids, at home, it's uh, especially in this time without all the crap that's going on. With How old are your kids? Well, Dylan's 19, Cole's 17, Addison is 14, and then Beckett and Waver, they're my twins, they're 11. Okay. So they would be going into sixth grade this fall, a freshman, a senior, and then uh, Dylan graduated yeah. a couple you are years bu- ago. You are busy then. It, 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 it's very yeah. busy. So, yeah. you know, just being cooped up with all the stuff that's going on. And yeah. now, like I said, these they're all active. They all do something, and mm-hmm. they can't do any of that now. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure what a fulfilling day is right now. Okay. Getting them out, getting them out of the house. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> being able to say they accomplished something through the day. I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's just a strange time. Yeah. Just a very strange yeah. time. So maybe we'll, we'll circle back to the beginning. You've talked about you know, your growth opportunities and in your mindset going through the last 14 years or so. But if you can look back and look at what was the foundational platform for it all, can you put that into words for us? Yeah, I, I would I would almost have to just say the, the way I was brought up, probably the guidance that mom and dad showed us, their expectations that you maybe weren't forced to live up to, but you've the respect for them you wanted to. I guess Mm -hmm. would probably be the best way to put it. You know, just the work ethic that they instilled and, you know, the expectations that they instilled. That's kind of the benchmark really for everything or or the, I should say, the platform for everything. That's where it all starts from. So building from that, I guess that would be, because that even goes back to my grandpa, very involved with him over the years on the farm. He was always big into the cattle and just being a quarter mile down the road with a pasture between us and three-wheelers and four-wheelers as a kid that's where he always ended up so eight years old you're taking the three-wheeler across the pasture to go hang out with grandpa and walk through the barns Mm and he was always the first one to throw you in the driver's seat of the pickup and have you go drive around and you know just kind of preach about getting stuff done and if you're going to take the time to do it you know if you're Mm going to do it anyway do it right only takes a little bit longer and those types of things so and he he just passed away this winter too so that was that was a big loss for us this winter so he was a great role model for us just sorry to hear that yeah he he was a great man he uh uh, knew a lot of people and i think everybody anybody i knew just respected him so much but uh, yeah he was uh looking back now you could see everything that my dad had was because of him Mm -hmm. you know instilled in him type of thing so i guess it was expectations that kind of gave us our foundation yeah well, Clint, I think we're going to kind of wrap this up. I really, really appreciate you walking us through your journey. 
Um, I've always viewed you as a very successful farmer and businessman, but more importantly, I've just really, really enjoyed your thoughtfulness and honesty as a human being. So I loved the opportunity to talk to you. I, I learned a whole lot more about you and I think our, our listeners did as well. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. And you know, this whole podcast, I, I really enjoy these podcasts. This is, uh, I, I like listening to these, so yeah. keep it up. Good. Good. Thank you. Well, we're going to conclude this version of, of Grounded. This is Jim Ruhlman. Keep the faith and have a good day. This has been Grounded. If you'd like to hear an episode on a specific topic, please email your ideas to grounded at michigansugar.com. Thanks for listening and check back soon for another edition of Grounded.